Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Alrighty, we continue our one-year study in John's Gospel. If you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 10. Verses 22 through 42, and today is one of the most important sermons in the entire book. It is where Jesus tells us emphatically, openly, publicly, clearly who he is. And in their day, like our day, there was no lack of opinion regarding Jesus' person. And so I made a little list for you, share it with you before we let Jesus speak for himself. How many of you, when you're talking about Jesus, you find that lots of people have lots of opinions about him and they vary quite greatly? Well, in the world of religions, the Baha'is will say that Jesus is a manifestation of God and a prophet, but inferior to Muhammad and Baha'u'llah. If you ask a Buddhist, they'll say that he is not God, but he is an enlightened man like the Buddha, but not quite as chubby. If you ask the Christian scientist founder, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, and I don't get Christian science. There's no Christians, there's no science. I don't understand. To me, it's like grape nuts. You open the box, there's no grapes, no nuts. I'm not sure who did the branding. But the founder of Christian science will say, quote, unquote, Jesus Christ is not God. Hinduism has many views of Jesus, but they will generally say that he is not the only God and he is just a wise man like Krishna. Islam says that Jesus is a mere man. He is a prophet and inferior to Muhammad. Insofar as famous folks go in the history of the world, Frederick Nietzsche, the great atheist, said, quote, Jesus died too soon. If he had lived to my age, he would have repudiated his doctrine. Nietzsche said, it's too bad he died as a young man. If he would have lived longer, he would have became an atheist like me. Americans, and now he's dead. He's having a very bad day, by the way. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche is. He met Jesus and was like, ruh um, Okay, American psychologist Rollo May says that Christ is the therapist for all humanity. Fidel Castro, the Cuban leader, says, I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and the ideas of that symbol of that extraordinary figure, Jesus Christ. Fidel said, oh, he was a great communist. Adolf Hitler said, in boundless love, and don't you just think of those two things together, Adolf Hitler and boundless love. I tell you, some people, they have a high self-esteem and they need to be spanked. In a boundless love as a Christian, and it's going to happen the whole sermon. I'm really tired. Uh, I, I was, there's three kinds of tired. Tired, I went to Disney World tired. I went to Disney World for three days tired. I got back at midnight last night. The first day at Disney, you're like, hey, how come everybody's got a scooter? And the last day, you're like, hey, where's my scooter? That's where I'm at. Okay, so... I'm tired. Um, How about this one? Uh, Adolf Hitler said, In boundless love as a Christian, as a man, I read how terrific was his fight for the world against the Jewish poison. Adolf Hitler said, Jesus was a good Nazi. He's dead, having a bad day too. Mahatma Gandhi said, I cannot say that Jesus was uniquely divine. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoroastro, just a spiritual man. What about Jesus of the cults? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that he is a created being. He is the archangel Michael. Uh, The Mormons say that he is the polygamist half-brother of Lucifer and became one of many gods. Scientology says that Jesus is an implant forced upon a thetan about a million years ago. Pastor Mark, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm drug-free. I can't think in those categories. And then the progressive and or liberal Christians say that Jesus is just a great socialist liberator who drove a hybrid camel. So there's lots of opinions regarding who Jesus is. Everybody has an opinion regarding who Jesus is. And the question is, who did Jesus say he is? To me, that would be the most important, the most significant. And it says in the Bible that God made us in his image and likeness. And it's like we return the favor. 
It's like everybody looks in the mirror and says, well, there's an awesome human being. If everyone was like that, I'm sure the world would be a better place. I'm sure Jesus was just like me. Well, who did Jesus say that he is? Who did Jesus say that he is? To me, that is perhaps the most important, significant question or among them in the history of the world. And that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 10. And to get you up to speed at this point, Jesus' ministry has been going for a few years and there is this feud that is culminating and brewing and it is the religious leaders who are harassing him. They are following him. They are opposing him. He has gone from rural ministry to urban ministry. He's at the temple. He's in religious areas. He's in high density urban places where there are large crowds who come to see his works and come to hear his words. And it all culminates today in John chapter 10. So we'll pick it up in verse 22. And if you've got a Bible, go to John 10, 22 through 24, it says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. So it gives us historical markers. Here's what I need you to know if you're new, that the Bible is a historically accurate book when it tells us of dates, times, holidays, peoples, and places. Archaeologists confirm that these are in fact true. We see it again here. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple, the holiest place on earth in the colonnade of Solomon, so the Jews, these are religious leaders, gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Let me get to the context. It's Jerusalem, the big city, the holiest place on earth. And it is the temple, the very presence of God, where people come to be in the presence of God together. And it is during a feast or a festival, the feast of dedication. You won't find this in your Bible, it was added a little bit later in history. Um, Let me give you a little bit of background on this. Um, The Syrian king, he ruled, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Did you say that right, Mark? I don't know. I went to public school. I did my best. Uh, He ruled and he destroyed, his goal was to destroy Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Uh, He attacked Jerusalem, killed upwards of 80,000 Jews, sold 80,000 more into slavery. Imagine that. Imagine if all of a sudden ISIS, Al-Qaeda hit, and next thing you know, 80,000 Christians are dead and 80,000 are taken as slaves, right? God's people. He stole money from the temple treasury. He outlawed the Jewish faith. He said it was a crime to have a copy of the Old Testament or to circumcise a child. Mothers who did have their sons circumcised according to the Old Testament, they were crucified. The women were crucified with their children hung around their necks. There's a lot of opposition to God's people. Temple courts were transformed into brothels. Imagine you came to the church and you're like, what happened? What God took over? Uh, The sacred altar in the temple was used to worship Zeus and sacrifices were made to the great gods. It was a low point in the history of God's people. But then Judas Maccabees and his brother, they led a revolution. Here comes the guys on the white horses. They were victorious in battle. They liberated, cleansed the temple. They returned to the worship of God and they instituted this feast, the Feast of Dedication. We need to always be appreciative for those who put themselves in harm's way so we can have our freedoms, amen? I mean, for those of you who served in the military, those of you who are first responders, those of you who are police officers, thank you, right? There are those who want to take away religious liberty and freedom. And in that day, it was taken. And then there was an uprising. There were those who came in and fought for the freedom to worship God. And then what happened was they instituted the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah. 
or the Festival of Lights. Some of you have now heard of this. You're like, I didn't know what we were talking about. I've heard of Hanukkah because I know that Adam Sandler sang a song about it. Uh, I won't sing it because we're in church. Uh, but he did sing a song about it. Um, and so if you have Jewish friends, you're like, why do you celebrate Hanukkah? Well, this is why. This is why. This is why. And so what is happening historically here is they had been oppressed and they couldn't worship God. They were liberated and delivered. Now they can worship God. And God shows up and they don't worship him. You can have the freedom to worship God, but then you don't act on that freedom and worship God. Somebody say, but they're very religious, right? Which is the opposite of worshiping God. They're worshiping their traditions. They're worshiping their man-made institutions. They're worshiping their regulations and rules. God shows up and they don't worship God. It is a great thing for others to secure our freedom to worship God, but we need to make sure that we are worshiping God and not just being religious or spiritual, but worshiping, in fact, the right God. And so this is the context, historically, of the debate. And so the question that they have is perhaps the most important question in the history of the world. How long will you keep us in suspense? What they're saying is, we've been harassing you for years. Tell us who you are. Has he already told them who he is? Repeatedly. This is not a secret, but he's going to be very plain about it in just a moment. Here's their question. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly, yes or no. Now, you need to know that what they're hoping Jesus does is either recants of what he has said, that he is God, or that he absolutely reasserts that, and as a result, they have a right to put him to death. Either way, the, the, the crowds are watching. Right? They, they picked up their rocks. They're able to stone him if he is a violator of the Old Testament blasphemy laws. This is like a man who's before a firing squad. I want you to see kind of the steely-eyed calm of Jesus. Right? He doesn't live in fear. He lives by faith. And what happens is they're asking him, and everyone is watching, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And this word means the anointed one, the chosen one, the selected one, the unique one, the exclusive one. This was a title from the Old Testament that God was coming into human history to rule and to reign. And he was superior to and unlike all others. And as they were delivered by their great deliverer for this festival, God would come to give them even a great and more eternal deliverance. So the question is, Jesus Who are you? Tell us plainly, openly, clearly, publicly, emphatically. Who are you? And then his answer. And his answer is extraordinary. Extraordinary. Jesus answered them. I told you. How many of you have heard that? Jesus never said he was God. That's myth, legend, fable, and folklore that was invented and created by his followers after the fact, much, many years following uh, his departure from earth. That's not true. Jesus over and 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 over said in various ways to various groups at various times, I am God. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Some of you know people like this. You love people like this. You're like, I told them about Jesus, they don't believe. So then they ask me questions and I give them the answers and they don't believe. And, and it's not that they don't know, it's that they don't believe what they know, right? The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my Sheep, he's using that sheep shepherd analogy that we looked at just previously in John. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He's using this this great analogy. I give them what kind of life? Eternal life. It's It's a quality of life that starts the day you meet Jesus. It's a duration of life that continues forever. Continues forever. I do believe in heaven and I believe I'm going to spend forever in the presence of God and I don't wake up and ever worry about that. 
But even if there was no heaven, I would want to know Jesus just because the improvements it gives me in this life. Okay? So when people say, meet Jesus and die and go to heaven, I say, well, how about you meet Jesus and heaven comes to you and then one day you go to heaven? I think it's both hand. Jesus is good for this life and the eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. How many of you moms know exactly what that's like? You're like, this is my kid and I'm not going to lose it. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Next slide, please. I and the father are, here's the big statement. One, the Bible's repeated emphasis is that there is one God. Every day, three times a day, they would echo something that is in the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one God. This is what they would say to themselves multiple times a day. One God, one God, one God. We used to do this all the time. I did with the kids. If you grew up in my home, you had to do Bible Jeopardy all the time. And the first, the first I had all these little questions I would ask the kids. First question was, how many gods are there? One, yay. I had one kid that'd be like three, seven. It took a while. We had to, we had to get them up to, no, that's too many. So, but the question was always, how many gods are there? One God, yay. Okay, so this is bedrock. This is foundational. This is 101. How many gods are there? One. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 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 That's a massive statement. So they, the religious leaders, picked up stones to stone him, to put him to death. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself, what does it say, friends? Who did Jesus say he was? God. 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 Why do they not believe in Jesus? Number one, they're not his sheep. The language here is of sheep and shepherd. He told us previously that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And in that culture, a shepherd would live with their sheep. Sheep would live out in pasture. Sheep would wander. And when the shepherd wanted to collect his flock, he would call each of them by name. And the sheep would know the voice of the shepherd. They would not listen to any other shepherd and they would run to their shepherd. You need to know that Jesus is a good shepherd and that if he calls your name and you run to him, this is faith and belief and trust, then it proves that you are one of his sheep. And what Jesus says is, I call and you don't come, therefore you're not one of my sheep. Jesus is saying here, there are those who love him, there are those who do not love him, those who come to him, those who run from him. You need to make your decision. Jesus loves you and you can come to him, but if you run from him rather than to him, you're not one of his sheep. You're not one of his sheep. And these are, let me ask you, are these moral people? Very moral. Are these spiritual people? Very spiritual. Are these religious people? Very religious people. You could be moral, spiritual, religious and not get to Jesus. And not get to Jesus. Number two, Jesus gives eternal life, that's his language, and they will not, and they will never, he declares, perish. Now, there is oftentimes this question that gets answered, sometimes by tender-hearted, tender-conscienced, well-meaning, well-intended Christian people. And that is, I, I met Jesus, I love Jesus, but can I lose my salvation? 
I was preaching in Orlando yesterday and I got done and a young man walked up to me and asked me this question. I get asked this question all the time. And he seemed like a tender-hearted, tender-conscienced young man. He's like, Pastor Mark, I have one question. I said, okay, well, what is it, buddy? How can I help? He said, I, I love the Lord, but, you know, I've, I've kind of walked away from the Lord. and I've come back to the Lord. I'm summarizing a conversation. He said, but how do I know I have not lost my salvation? Let me say this. You can lose your car keys, but you cannot lose your salvation, okay? Because the, the question, if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. The question is not, can you lose your salvation? The question is, can God lose one of his children? What does Jesus say? No, who can snatch from his hand? No one. You know what that means? No one. I'll let you know a little secret. That's what it means, okay? That includes you. That includes you. Jesus says, furthermore, they're not only in my hand, they're in the Father's hand. So we were on a flight last night, flying home with uh, the two kids, and uh, we were very richly blessed on both flights to be surrounded with a whole bunch of babies. And I, I know that the Bible says that children are a blessing, and I would say maybe not on an airplane. But nonetheless, we had some kids who were screaming because there was turbulence. And here's what moms did. One hand, two hand, hold that baby. Right? Hold that baby. Right? Turbulence comes. Okay. Mom is not going to. Here's what I can report. Zero mothers drop their babies. Okay? Zero mothers drop their babies. How many of you moms know exactly what this is like? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're a Christian, God the Father, God the Son, you're in their hands. They don't drop their kids. They don't lose their kids, right? Jesus is not going to let you go. The Father is not going to let you go. You are safe and secure in the hands of God. I need you to know that so that you can, if you are a Christian and you do belong to the Lord Jesus, you can work from your relationship, not for your relationship. You can have security in that relationship and confidence. That's what I, I looked at this guy and I said, you want to ask me the question, can you lose your salvation? I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you think that Jesus will forsake you, abandon you, neglect you, or give up on you? He said, no, he wouldn't do that. I said, then you'll be okay. Okay? Then you'll be okay. Every time you see a mother holding a child, think God holds me like that. Amen? Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, what he's saying to them is, you're not one of mine. You're, not one of, you're religious, you're moral, you're spiritual, but you have not entered into this kind of relationship with me. So again, they ask him in context, Jesus, tell us plainly who you are. And he says, there are two ways to know who I am, my works and my words. Those are the two categories that Jesus gives. He says, look at my works, the things that I am doing, these are the things that the Father has sent and said for me to do. And uh, there have been, or there will be, in total, about seven great miracles in John's gospel. Chapter 2, we looked that he turned water into wine. We're in John's gospel for a year. Chapter 4, he healed a nobleman's son. Chapter 5, he caused a lame man to walk. Uh, chapter 6, he fed 5,000 with the little boy's lunchable. Uh, chapter 6, he went water skiing without a boat and walked on water. Uh, chapter 9, he healed a man who was blind. And coming up soon in chapter 11, he will call Lazarus forth from the dead. 
Here's what Jesus says. Back in the Old Testament, he's echoing Isaiah. It says that the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise. When God shows up, you'll know it because he's going to do stuff that nobody else does. Jesus says, here I am. Look at what I do. I do all the things that were promised that would be done solely exclusively by me. So first it is his works. How many of you, what brought you to the Lord Jesus was his work in your life? He showed up in some way, did something. He healed you, answered prayer, supernatural revelation. Something happened. God showed up. He did a work in your life. You're like, I don't know. Jesus is real because I see what he does. Okay? In addition to his works, there are his words. How many of you, what brought you to faith or is bringing you to faith in the Lord Jesus is his words? Here's what he said. And he tells the truth. And nobody says what Jesus says. He says, I and the Father are one. I need you to see that this is a very clear claim in their culture. Again, we are 2,000 years removed. They are Hebrew. We are American. They were speaking a different language than we do. There is a bit of cultural distance. But he tells them very, 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 very clearly, very, very, very plainly, I am God. I am God. And let me just emphasize the significance of this. When he says, I and the Father are one. Uh, There is a judge from New York, his name was Judge Gaynor. He says, quote, It is plain from each of the gospel narratives that the alleged crime for which Jesus was tried and convicted was blasphemy. Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, and Gandhi all said they were not God. Let me ask you a question, friend. Cumulative case, here we go, let's build it. How many major religious leaders, founders, ever declared themselves to be God? How many? Just Jesus, no one else. There is no other major world religion in the history of the world that has said, I'm God. They'll say, I'm a prophet of God. I'm a servant of God. I'm a path to God. I'm a spokesman for God. They do not say, I am God. This claim of Jesus is without precedent or peer in the history of the world. Some of you are non-Christians and you have an opinion about Jesus. I would ask you, I would beg you, I would encourage you, I would implore you before you make a decision about Jesus, listen to Jesus, right? If you really want to get to know someone, the best thing is not to listen to all of their critics, but to get to know them, to get to know them. And what Jesus is telling us here, I'm God. That's exactly what he's saying. He said it repeatedly and he'll say it here again. I need you to know that any other religion, spirituality that you might choose does not have as its founder someone who makes this unprecedented, unparalleled claim. Okay, and this is either true or false, amen? I mean, you can't make a claim like this, especially 2,000 years ago at the temple in Jerusalem during a, a holy feast, a holiday, in the presence of many people. Some people will say, well, Jesus was a good man, but he was not the God man. It is not a good thing for a man to say he is God, to tell you to trust in him as God, to worship him as God, to serve him as God, if he is not God. That would, in fact, make Jesus not a good man, but the most deplorable and awful man in the history of the world. And the few billion people that worship him today are all deceived and being led to utter an eternal darkness. Let's let Jesus tell us who he is and then let you make your decision regarding who you believe him to be. Secondly, for those of you who are Christian, sometimes we can get back on our heels and say, well, you know, I don't know if Jesus said he was God. You know, that's what the preacher said. No, no, no. 
bring them to John chapter 10. Jesus said it. Jesus said he was God. Not only did he say he was God, they clearly heard that he was God. You, being a man, you make yourself God. Now, he knows that they're going to murder him for this. Now, if this was an error, a misunderstanding, if Jesus was dyslexic and was talking about his dog, you know, I would think, you get that on the way home, but, you know, I would think he would say, oh, I misspoke. Let me correct that. Let me send out, you know, an apology. Let me send out a, a, a clarification. Oh, you misunderstood. Please put the rock down. Jesus, in the face of great adversity and facing his own execution, he couldn't be more clear. And the reason that they are seeking to put him to death is because in the Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 16, it says this, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name or the name of God, he shall be put to death. So in the Old Testament, in our day, you get to say any crazy thing you want, right? In that day, if you said, I'm God, they said, there's no repeat offenders. We kill you, you're done, and we tell everybody else, no saying you're God. So people were so afraid to blaspheme the name of God that they didn't even say the name of God let alone say that their name was God. These are people that won't even say the name of God, let alone say that their name is God. And so the rule was, if someone says they're God, everyone gets to pick up a stone and put them to death and murder them openly, publicly, and shamefully. Jesus knows this. He's probably looking at this point, people in the eye that have got a rock in their hand. Tell us plainly who you are. Tell us plainly, this is a guy before a firing squad, guns loaded. All right, last chance. Do you want to apologize for what you said? No, because it's true. We're going to kill you. I'll be back in three days. You'll feel sorry about that. You'll feel bad about that. You're going to say sorry. And that's, that's where we find ourselves in the story. Here's the question, friend. Did Jesus say he was God? Yes. Now, you need to answer this question for yourself. Do you believe what Jesus said? Okay. See, at the Trinity Church, we believe what Jesus said. You got to trust somebody, may as well trust Jesus. And whatever you think about Jesus, my dear friend, you're trusting what someone is saying. Can you find anyone more trustworthy, more humble, more gracious, more generous, more loving, more kind, more courageous than Jesus? If you can find someone better than Jesus, I will consider their opinion regarding him. Until then, I will trust his revelation of his person. Amen? Amen. So then the story continues. Well, did Jesus say he's the only God? Because sometimes people say, Jesus didn't say he was God. Yes, said, okay, well, he's one of many gods. He's not the only God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? He goes back, he's going to quote Psalm chapter 82, verse 6. We'll look at it in a moment. I said you are gods. Admittedly, this is going to get a little complicated, but let me try and untie the knot for you. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. And by the way, with our Muslim friends, this is the big opposition. That Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus says, that's exactly who I am. 
says, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the father is in me and I am in the father. He is re-emphasizing, not recanting of what he said. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So two things I want to note here. First, scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. You know what? There are contracts in our world. They are broken. There are vows made in our world. They are broken. There are promises made in our world. They are broken. The word of God cannot be broken. It's not even that it, it won't be broken. It's that it can't be broken. When God makes a promise, he brings it to pass. When God gives a promise, prophecy, rather, he brings it to reality. Right? Every word of God proves true. Psalm 35 and 6. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel that every I will be dotted, that every T will be crossed, and everything that is promised will be fulfilled. I need you to know that in a world of uncertainty, there is great certainty in the trustworthiness of God's word. I need you to know that in a world where people do not keep their promise, we worship a God who only and always keeps his promises. That once you trust in the word of God and the God of the word, you have put your faith in that which is eternally, certainly, and unbreakably secure. At the bedrock of what we believe is that the word of God is unlike any other word in the world. It is the promise of God, and God brings forth everything just as he promises it will be. Amen? So first of all, Jesus says, I'm going to go back to the Bible. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's be biblical. Let's, let's not argue over secondary issues. Let's get the primary issues. Let's just open the Bible, and let's just clear this up. And so he quotes Psalm 82, 6. If you've got the next slide, let's walk through that. What does he mean saying, you are God's? Because it almost sounds like Jesus is teaching what is called polytheism. Monotheism, there's one God. Polytheism, many gods. That's not what he's teaching. Go back to this section in Psalm 82. I want to look at it in in, in its context because the most important thing is we let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay? We let the Bible interpret the Bible. When Jesus quotes a section of the scriptures, we need to go back and see what it actually said in its original context and what the intention was for the audience. I've had this verse used against me in debates. I think Deepak Chopra used, I was debating him on ABC, I think one time, I think he used this verse. Well, you know, Jesus said there are many gods and so there are many gods and we all have our different divinities and blah, 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 kindling, fire, burn forever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that there are a whole bunch of divinities and we believe in a whole pantheon of gods. That's not what Jesus is saying. He just said, I and the Father are one. He just told us there's one God. God has taken his place in the divine council. So the context here of Psalm 82 is, think of it like a court convening. Uh, Think of it like, I'll just use this analogy, kind of like the Supreme Court. Let's say the Supreme Court convened, right? There's there's the council of those who hold highest authority, and they render verdicts that affect everyone else. God has taken his place in the divine council. So the, the concept is like God sitting on a bench as a judge and surrounding him, or the angels. Here's his divine counsel. Um, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. This word for gods used in Psalm 82, it can mean rulers. It can mean kings. It can mean judges. It can actually mean God. It means one who holds authority and renders a verdict. One who's in power, in authority. Sometimes they would use it for human leaders, judges, rulers, and kings. Sometimes they would use this same word for God. 
And so it's, it's a flexible word. It's like today we would use the word Lord. Well, we refer to that to Jesus, but you go to some countries and the ruling official is called the Lord, right? Lord so-and-so. It's kind of like that. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And here's the verse that Jesus quoted in John's gospel. I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. It's using that same word to speak of political authority. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let me give you my take on this. I believe that what we're looking at here is there is God who is ruling and reigning, and he has his law that he gives to leaders, and leaders are to obey the law of God and to execute justice according to God's word and God's will. Some of those are political leaders. Some of those are um, judicial leaders. Some of those are spiritual leaders. But the problem becomes they are not following God's verdict and judgment and justice. They're unjust. They are, they are rebelling against God. Rather than obeying God's word and executing God's will, they are rejecting God's word. And as a result, they're acting like they're God's. People ever do this? All of a sudden they're like, I'm here to serve God. And then they're like, well, actually, I'm here to be God. I'm in charge now. I'm not under any authority. I don't need to listen or execute. I'm a smart person. I went to college. I have more degrees in Fahrenheit. I know what I'm doing. Now that I'm in charge and sitting on the throne, I feel like I, feel like I know what to do. And if it disagrees with God's will or God's word or God's way, well, you know what? I'm just going to go my own way. You're acting like a God. And so what happened in Psalm 82, they were supposed to be under God, executing God's will, God's word, God's way, but they had rebelled. He says, uh, they show, they they work unjustly. Uh, They're showing partiality to the wicked. There's no justice for the weak and the fatherless. There's no rights for the afflicted and the destitute. People are needy. They're under the oppression of the hand of the wicked. They walk about in darkness. What he's saying is, I gave my word and I gave leaders to bring justice, liberation, love to the people. And as a result of these rebellious leaders who are not serving God, but want to be served as if they are God, injustice has come. And so then God makes this promise. Um, He goes on and says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So the cry out from Psalm 82 is, Hey God, our political system is corrupt. Our spiritual system is corrupt. Our legal system is corrupt. All the people that are supposed to be serving you, God, they're not, and they're acting like they're gods. So God, would you please come and straighten this all out? Because we can't do that. It is beyond our capacity and ability. Would you please come and take care of all these false gods and their injustice and be our real God and bring real justice? Sounds familiar, amen? How many of you are like, what, is this current or what? Yes, it is. Because God's word is not old, it is eternal. Which means it is not timely, it is timeless. And so what happens is, 
Jesus shows up to fulfill this prophecy. Arise, O God. So Jesus did. He got off His throne. Judge the earth. There He is to judge the earth. And what happens is, He is there to judge these rulers, and these rulers are there to judge Him. Let me tell you this. You don't judge Jesus. Jesus judges you. No one's going to die, stand before Jesus, and judge Him. Everyone will die, stand before Him, and be judged by Him. And so Psalm 82 is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus as the ruler that brings true and full justice. And what he is saying to them, and they fully understand what he's saying, what he's saying to them is, you're just like the guys in Psalm 82. You don't bring justice. You don't obey the word of God. You do not bring the will of God. You do not walk in the ways of God. You are not my sheep. Right? You're not worshiping me. You're not obeying me. You're not following me. You're not doing what I want you to do. You're not saying what I want you to say. What Jesus is saying in context is, I came to say what the Father told me to say. I came to do what the Father told me to do. And you cannot do or say the same thing because you're living rebellious. He's judging them. He's judging the judges. Jesus said he was God. They said, no, you're not. And he said, yes, I am. I'm here to judge you. Just so you know, this didn't reduce the conflict. Amen? What Jesus is saying is, you're not gods. And God is here. And you're not listening to God. You're judging God who came to judge you. This is so incredibly crystal clear. And again, this is open. This is public. This is visible. This is microphone on, camera rolling, notes being taken, press present. Jesus knows that this will result in his execution. These are guys with rocks in his hands. And he doesn't recant, he doesn't relent, he doesn't repent of his declaration to be God. Again, just I'll just read it to you, 39, John 10. They sought to arrest him. Friends, did Jesus say he was God? Oh yeah. Did Jesus say he was the only God? Oh yeah. And then the result and the response, and this has been my prayer for you all week. Here's my question to you. Do you believe in Jesus as your God? See, I love you. I really do. I love you with all my heart. I'm honored to be your Bible teacher. I'm honored to lead and feed this flock. All I can do is teach the Bible. You've got to decide what you're going to believe and what you're going to do. Okay? So this is where you need to make a decision. Some of you are Christians. You're like, I made the decision. You make it once, and then you make it every day. It's kind of like marriage. You know, some of you are married, or you still are. You, you know, you got to... Like, I made the decision. I, 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 dec- I made the decision to marry Grace 25 years ago, but I make the decision to continue in that relationship every single day. Every day. Every day. You make a decision to walk with Jesus, but you need to make a decision every day to keep walking with Him, to continue to develop and deepen that relationship. For some of you, you're not Christians, and let me tell you why you're here. You're here to become a Christian. You're like, I didn't know that. I know God didn't tell you because he knew you wouldn't come. He's telling you now. All right, so bazinga. There you go, okay? Isn't it wonderful, though, that in a world filled with speculation, 
You're like, I don't know what religion. I don't know what philosophy. I don't know what opinion. I don't know who to follow. I don't know who to listen to. I don't know who to trust. I don't know what God says. I'll just come down and make this real simple. You're a sinner. I'm a savior. You need me. I love you. What do you think? Should we have a relationship? Right? He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John, uh, this is his uh, cousin, John the baptizer, He preached and laid the foundations for Jesus' ministry before he was beheaded. Where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. How many came to him? Many. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him. Here's what I love. Many came to him, many believed in him. I believe that is still the heart of God. I believe that sometimes churches set their vision too small because their vision is according to their capacity, not according to God's heart and affection for people. I believe that the heart of God is still that many would come to Jesus and that many would believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so what we see here is the response, and this is where it is your opportunity to respond. Uh, Let me say a few things. John the baptizer Jesus says, and I don't have time to get into it all, Jesus said, of of those born of women, none is greater than John. Here's what Jesus says about John the baptizer, his cousin. Of all the mere men born in the history of the world, the greatest person who has ever lived on the face of the earth is John the baptizer. If we took a poll right now, greatest person in the history of the world, I don't think John the baptizer would make the top 100. If you let Jesus cast the only vote, John would be at the top of the list. Question, did John have supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles in his life and ministry? No. Did Jesus? Yes. Yes. Here's what it says. Uh, John had been baptizing there. There he remained. They said, John did no sign. Huh. You know what a sign is? A sign is something that points to a destination. Jesus did miracles, but those miracles were signs, right? 27 miles to the Grand Canyon, 15 miles to the Grand Canyon, five miles to the Grand Canyon, two miles to the Grand Canyon. When you get to the Grand Canyon, there's no sign. Grand Canyon. You're like, no, I knew that. I looked and I saw and I realized that's it right there. We didn't need a sign anymore. Because once you've arrived at the destination, you don't need the sign. The sign's goal is to get you to the destination. Well, signs, wonders, and miracles are to point people to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, John taught us about Jesus and he pointed us to Jesus, but there were no signs, wonders, and miracles. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, you really do love the Lord Jesus, but you've not had a lot of supernatural stuff in your life. Like, I've never seen anybody healed. I've never had an angel show up. I've never been spoken to by a burning cactus. Right? I've never had that. I've been outside near a cactus and felt like I was burning, but I've never had a burning cactus. Right? right? <laughs> Welcome to the valley. The greatest man in the history of the world did not have supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles. Instead, he was the greatest because he just told the truth about Jesus. If you've not had a sign, wonder, or miracle, I'd be happy if you got one, and if you do, let me know. But you can be great in the sight of God if, like John, you just tell people the truth about Jesus. Now, Jesus' miracle, he did have lots of signs, wonders, and miracles. Lots of supernatural things happened. To be honest with you, that's been more my experience. Demonic attacks, manifestations, visions, dreams, audible words from God. 
I've seen people healed. I've seen all kinds of things. People that I know and love. Some people who love Jesus very, very deeply, they'd say, I've not experienced that. Some of your life is going to be like John. Not a lot of signs and wonders. Just telling people about Jesus and telling the truth. Some of your life is going to be like Jesus. All kinds of crazy stuff happens. Thank you, Lord. Either way, just walk in God's will for your life. And celebrate God's will for your life. And what I love about this is the response. Many came to him. Have you come to Jesus? That's the question. Have you come to Jesus, the real Jesus? The Jesus who said he was God and showed he was God. He said he was God with his words. He showed he was God with his works. Have you come to the real Jesus who who didn't come to put people to death? That's what the religious leaders did. He He came to be put to death. In your place for your sins out of love for you. That's amazing. Have you come to Jesus After he dies, he rises from death. That's his greatest sign, his most astonishing miracle. It absolutely, incontrovertibly proves everything that he said, in fact, to be fact. And then I love this. Um, When he came to him, many believed in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? I was thinking about it. Um, I think there are three kinds, three levels of belief First is to believe in something. Two plus two is four. You believe that. The risk is not very high. It's fairly impersonal. The next step is to believe in something. This takes a little more faith and there's a little more risk. I can still remember when uh, we were up in the mountains and the kids were little and I had the kids in the car and we came to this crevasse and there was this bridge over a river. I was like, okay, do I trust that bridge enough to get on it with the kids? Okay, There's faith in something. There's faith in something. And, and you act on it, and there's more risk. The, the, the greatest level of belief is faith in someone. Do you trust them? Are you going to entrust yourself to them? Are you going to have a relationship with them? Are you going to open your heart to them? Are you going to open your wallet to them? Are you going to open your home to them? Are you going to open your family to them? Are you going to open your job to them? Are you going to open your life to them and welcome them in? Because that is the place of greatest risk. That is the grace, the place of, of, of greatest vulnerability. And that is the place of deepest relationship. Here's what Jesus wants. He wants you to believe in him like that. Not to just believe something or in something, but in the someone. He loves you. He cares for you. He forgives you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He didn't come to punish you. He came to be punished for you. He tells you that he is God. And the biggest problem that we have, like those in Psalm 82 and John 10, we just want to be our own gods. We want to rule over our own life, our own destiny. We trust ourselves more than we trust in Jesus. So at this point, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to come to Jesus, and you're going to believe in Jesus. And we show this by partaking of communion, which is remembering Jesus' broken body, shed blood in our place for our sins. He is the one in whom we trust. 
Father God, I thank you for an opportunity to teach the Bible here today at the Trinity Church. And uh, Father God, I just want to say thank you so much for the scriptures that cannot be broken. Lord God, in a a world of uncertainty, in a world of lies, in a world of spin, in a world of conjecture, in a world of speculation, in a world of smearing, Lord God, it is so nice to find bedrock. It is so nice to know the truth. It is so nice to trust in the eternal perfect word of God that has endured generation after generation and will continue forever. And Lord God, we thank you that the scriptures cannot be broken. Lord God, in addition, we thank you that the point of the whole Bible, all of the scriptures, is ultimately the person and the work of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for getting off of your throne and entering into this mess called humanity and history. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you patiently, lovingly, humbly, openly, continually told us that you are God and showed us you were God. Your works confirm your words. Lord Jesus, you alone are the only God. Lord Jesus, I ask right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that people would come to you, that people would believe in you, that they would not be like the religious leaders or those in Psalm 82 who seek to be the gods and goddesses over their own lives that we would trust you, that we would enter into relationship with you, that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we'd be vulnerable and relational toward you, and that we would experience your love as we walk in eternal life, knowing that the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son, they surround us, and our eternity is secure. In Jesus' good name, amen. If you live in or are visiting the Greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.